Welcome to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with my brother Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, a worldview refers to a comprehensive conception of the world from a specific standpoint. A Christian worldview then is a comprehensive conception of the world from a Christian standpoint. An individual's worldview is his big picture, a harmony of all of his beliefs about the world. It is his way of understanding reality. One's worldviews is the basis for making daily decisions and is therefore extremely important. You know, all the time on this program, we always talk about having a worldview, the way we see and understand the events in our world today. Therefore, we must have a prophetic biblical worldview to understand why our world is acting as it is today. And since one-third of the Bible is prophecy, we must know how to study and understand Bible prophecy. Rick, we've got an important program today. We've got our broadcast partners, our usual broadcast partners, Ken Timmerman, David Dolan, Sharam Hadian is back with us today, and a host of others that will join us on the program, plus our legacy series, as we're discussing the times of the Gentiles with Dr. Jimmy D. Young. Let's get started with our program, Rick, with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Well, that's right, Jimmy. I have Ken Timmerman with us. He is our expert when it comes to geopolitical affairs. He is an author and analyst with a wide variety of experience. You can find out more about him. Sign up for his newsletter by going to KenTimmerman.com. Ken, thank you for taking the time today to join us. Thanks for having me on, Rick. It's always a pleasure. Well, Ken, for my first question, I'd like to look at a trend, something that we have been noticing and talked about on this program in the past, and that is the idea that America is not what it once was on the world stage. Now, whether this is an intentional product of the Biden administration's foreign policy or something that is just happening based on what they are doing, it certainly seems like we are withdrawing from the world, reducing our influence, and allowing a power vacuum to develop. This power vacuum could be filled by all sorts of unsavory characters. Is this the way you are looking at things? Do you see this power vacuum that I'm talking about? I think there's a power vacuum, but uh, also, and perhaps more importantly, a leadership vacuum. A leadership vacuum at the very top of this administration that took power uh, in January of 2021. Just compare where we are, Rick, today to where we were then. Uh, we were headed to withdraw from Afghanistan under President Trump in an orderly fashion. That withdrawal was completely botched in August of 2021. We left with our tail between our legs. It was an international disgrace. Our own military was disgraced. We lost troops uh, in a terrible suicide bombing at the gates of the airport in Kabul. And to get some of the individuals, the translators and the Afghan individuals who had worked for the coalition out of the clutches of the Taliban, uh, Navy SEALs and U.S. Army Rangers who had left their active duty service called themselves back to duty to do what the government should have done, but now they're doing it as private citizens to save some of those people and get them out of Afghanistan. This was just a horrible debacle. It never would have happened under President Trump. Uh, but Afghanistan is just the beginning. We have uh, the rise of a increasingly aggressive communist China, we talked on this program a couple of weeks ago about how the Chinese have massively expanded 
their strategic nuclear capabilities over the past five years, going from maybe 100 ICBMs just five years ago to over 450 today, with potentially as many as 3,000 warheads, uh, half what the United States has. It's an incredible expansion. Their aggressivity when it comes towards Taiwan, the way that they treat U.S. leaders. Uh, you have Russia as well, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. I happen to believe, as President Trump has said many times publicly, that under his watch, Putin was not going to do anything that would essentially anger the United States. Putin did not want to get on Trump's bad side. He did not invade Ukraine. He waited until Biden was there, and he felt that he had a green light from CIA Director Bill Burns, who traveled to Moscow in November of 2021 and essentially told Putin he could go into Ukraine, but don't go very far and don't take Kiev. I mean, an incredible thing for a CIA director to do. So the world that we live in today is vastly different from the world of January 20th, 2021, the last day of President Trump's presidency. We are a weaker country. Our enemies are more powerful. And we see them banding to together. You could call it an axis of tyranny, if you wish. China, Russia, Iran, even North Korea. Well, you look at that, and it is an axis of tyranny. That is a very descriptive title for them. And it may be not in vogue nowadays to be a proud American, but I certainly am a proud American. And I think even though America has had its faults and it's not been perfect, they have generally been a benevolent force for good, for freedom, for democracy in the world. Well, we look at those countries that you just mentioned, China, Russia, Iran, North Korea, if they're taking a position of leadership in the world, they are not going to have the same strategy, the same policy, the same goals that we had, are they? Well, absolutely not, which is why I use that term, axis of tyrannies. They want to impose a new world order on all of us, and they are basing it on a weak America, a disempowered America, an America whose military is no longer the world's first class military that it was just a few years ago. The Chinese today uh, have more com surface combatant ships in their Navy than we do. Uh, incredible. And they have built this up just over the past five to 10 years. And you know what really worries me a lot, Rick, is that the American people are misinformed about this. They're ill-informed and misinformed. They get a lot of happy talk from the media, from the White House. Most Americans, I wager to bet those who do not listen to this program, probably think that America is doing just great today, uh, that the economy is doing okay, the stock market is doing all right, uh, their 401ks have come back from a very bad place where they were just a year and a half ago uh, when Biden first took office and really whacked the oil and gas industry uh, very hard. And so they are not seeing what's going on with China, Russia, Iran, and North Korea. They do not see this axis of tyrannies. And I think that is disturbing in itself. Well, this conversation has been political. We try not to be overtly political here on this program. We don't necessarily subscribe to one side or the other. But like my dad used to say, we just try to call it like we see it. And these are the things that we see that are taking place under the current administration. We talk about 
former President Trump. And now he was indicted this week, and I'd like to get your comment on that in just a second. But you look at it, full disclosure, I am not one of those people that think that everything Donald Trump did was correct. But he did get a lot of things right. A big one, at least as far as I'm concerned, in my opinion, is the position he took when supporting Israel probably the greatest friend that Israel had as president of the United States. So we look at that scenario and we look at these indictments that took place this week. Some of them seem very frivolous, over the top, hyperbole. These political persecutions seem to be the way that this country is operating politically. And we even see it in Israel now with the way the left wing is going after Benjamin Netanyahu as well. It's not necessarily democracy. It's just a no-holds, zero-sum, all-out war. The ends justify the means between political opponents. Uh, It is. And in Israel, in a way, you can understand it because they are a parliamentary system. Uh, They are not a constitutional republic. Uh, They do not have a constitution per se. They have a set of understandings. And so when uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's government wanted to alter one of those understandings with this judicial reform, the left just seized upon that. And uh, we, you know, we, we talk about that a lot on this program. You talk with David Dolan about it. We've seen what's happening in the streets. One very recent thing that I've seen uh, has been these fake petitions. Apparently, uh, Israel's enemies have been pointing to the number of reservists who allegedly have signed petitions saying they will not serve. Well, it turns out that a lot of those petitions are fake. And there are other petitions now circulating online of reservists who say we absolutely will serve. And again, this is part of a theme, Rick. I think that in Israel, as well as in the United States, there's a lot of misinformation that is being spread around. There is censorship. Uh, You had the censorship during the 2020 election of the Hunter Biden laptop, for example, by the media and lies being spread about what was on the laptop, calling it Russian disinformation by very senior U.S. intelligence officials. Uh, 51 of them, in fact, signed an open letter calling it uh, Russian disinformation, when, of course, they knew that it was not. There was an opinion poll done not long after the 2020 election saying if Democrats had understood that the Hunter laptop was real and that the Biden family was taking money from communist China, from Ukraine, from oligarchs in Romania and in Russia, they would not have voted for Joe Biden and Trump would have won the election by many more points than Biden is is said to have done. So I think that we are in a, a very bad spot right now in the United States. The Trump indictment is just the latest example of this. And as Trump's lawyer, Alina Haba, mentioned this week uh, when she was for the third time at the D.C. federal courthouse defending her client, it's not a coincidence that every time something happens with Hunter Biden or something, there's some new revelation about the Biden family and their relations to communist China or Ukraine, the very next day there is a new indictment or a new accusation uh, against Donald Trump or a raid on Mar-a-Lago. So these things are part of a distraction. The Democrat Party and the Bidens in particular want to take Donald Trump off the political chessboard because they know he is the leading candidate for president of either party today. And they see him as a danger to their continued political power. This is the hallmark, Rick, of the banana republic. We do not treat our political opponents as enemies of the state. 
we treat them as the loyal opposition. That's not what's happening today. Well, Ken, we're going to have to take a break right now. But when we come back, we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk about things that are taking place, persecution that is taking place in Iran and Iraq. Do you think you could come back with us after the break? It would be a pleasure, Rick. Very serious things happening in both of those countries. We're going to take a break. And when we come back, we'll continue with Ken Timmerman right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Three years ago today, over 2,500 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in a warehouse in Lebanon exploded, killing 220 people and wounding 6,000. Lebanese authorities declared today a national day of mourning, closing all government buildings. Hartford Lebanon's Tom Adamus says the Beirut blast is etched into the memories of thousands. Pray they'll experience the healing only Christ can offer. And the Holy Spirit is moving across the Arab world with new people coming to faith in Jesus every day. There's a growing need for biblical leadership development, but theological training is hard to get in the Middle East, North Africa region. Program for Theological Education by Extension, or PTEE, makes that theological training accessible. The newest program provides education on the go through mobile or M-Learning. PTEE needs your help to meet increasing demand. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. There are a lot of events around the world to cover, and unfortunately, we can't cover them all. But we are helping the body of Christ to develop a worldview, and hopefully on this program, we can do that. David Dolan's coming up with our Middle East News update in one moment. But uh, we have the luxury of having Ken Timmerman continue on with us in this segment. Rick, uh, I'm interested in what Ken's heartbeat is on Iran and Iraq. Iran and Iraq. Now, in Iran, you have situation, and we talked about it before, the hijab protest and what is going on there. And then in Iraq, there's new stories coming out about the persecution of Christians. Can you talk a little bit about what is going on in these two countries? Well, first of all, in Iran, you have this ongoing repression by the government. They have revived the morality police to crack down on women who are taking their hijabs off. And it's it's really quite simple, Rick, what's going on. The Iranian regime knows that they can kill people. They can arrest people with impunity. The international community is saying nothing about this. The United States government is saying nothing about it. Uh, and that emboldens the Iranians to do this sort of thing. And, and I think we're going to see more of that repression in the coming weeks as the Biden administration wants to negotiate a new, quote, understanding 
with the Iranian regime over its nuclear pro program. In Iraq, is a very, very uh, a desperate situation for Iraqi Christians. Just this past week, a good friend of mine, the, the Chaldean patriarch, Louis Sacco, a man I've known for over 15 years, a lion of the church, was forced to flee Baghdad, to flee Baghdad, where the Chaldean patriarchy is located, and take refuge in northern Iraq in the Kurdish areas in a monastery because the Iraqi president had revoked his legitimacy uh, under the law, under the Iraqi constitution, a very, very serious thing. Uh, it's called Decree 147, and that decree is what uh, allows religious leaders in Iraq to essentially have a, a fiduciary role, not only over their church property or the, the mosque property, but also over the abandoned properties of exiles. And when the Iraqi president revoked that right, he was basically saying to the Cardinal, Cardinal Sacco, the patriarch of the church, you no longer have the legitimacy or the protection of the state. We cannot protect you. So he went up and sought refuge. This is a very dark story, Rick. It's something, uh, unfortunately, I've followed for many, many years. And Sacco is being challenged by a so-called Christian who runs a brigade, Brigade 50 in northern Iraq that is financed by the Iranian regime that was close to Qasem Soleimani. I have met his partner in crime, a guy named Wal Kado. Both of them were, were subjected to U.S. sanctions in 2019 because of human rights abuses and because of their relationship with Iran. They are trying to take over what remains of the Christian communities in northern Iraq. They're trying to force people from their homes. They tried to take over the biggest Christian town, Baghdadah, uh, in March of this year, and they were actually kicked out by armed townspeople who pushed them away. But they're coming back, and this feud that they have with the patriarch, uh, Cardinal Sacco, is just the latest uh, example here. I, unfortunately, this is one more tragic episode in the ongoing martyrdom of the Christian community in Iraq. Well, Ken, I know you have firsthand knowledge there, and I appreciate the work that you have done there. We talk about the political and what's taking place geopolitically around the world, but we always have to remember that there are people on the ground and Christian communities in both of these countries that are being affected. We must continue to pray for them and continue to support them when we can. Well, Ken, thank you for taking the time today to be with us. We'll talk to you again soon. Amen to that, Rick, and please pray for Cardinal Sacco. Indeed, we'll keep these communities in our prayer. There are lost and dying people all over the world, Ken, that uh, need the Lord Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. Well, our Middle East news update with David Dolan. David, we got to find out uh, the latest on the judicial reform and the protests that are going on. Rick, I think we're so privileged to have David on the program again with us this week. Well, Dave, as we've been talking about for the last however many weeks now, the judicial overhaul dominating the news. We talked about it last week. It is still creating a huge political turmoil in Israel. Depending on who you talk to, it's either a lot of hyperbole or it is the end of the democratic state of Israel. We've talked about it quite a bit, but new developments taking place this week. Could you give us an update on where we are at? Well, Rick, ironically, the uh, law that was just passed a uh, couple weeks ago, uh, the reasonableness law, as it's uh, known, that the Supreme Court can toss out anything that the government puts through the Knesset, the parliament, 
uh, if it's deemed unreasonable, whatever they uh, mean by that, so it's very subjective, they're actually going to rule the Supreme Court on that very law on September 12th it was announced. So you have the party whose powers would be curbed somewhat, pretty limited actually, but somewhat, and of course more sweeping reforms are planned by the Netanyahu government, including how judges are appointed, and uh, most importantly, that the Knesset majority in the Knesset can overturn any Supreme Court ruling. That's the most controversial one. Those are for the future, but they will be (laughs) ruling on themselves, essentially, on whether to limit their own powers. So it's a very strange situation. And yes, we continue to have strong opposition. We continue to have weekly protests. Uh, Nothing as violent as on the day that that law was passed. But the committee that's steering the opposition continues to say this is the overthrow of democracy. This is a dictatorship forming and all these sorts of incendiary statements, as Prime Minister Netanyahu called them this week. He said it's nonsense. Uh, We're not losing our democracy and this sort of thing. We're just trying to rebalance the Supreme Court's overreaching power that it's taken for itself basically over the past 20 or 30 years. So we're going to see this dispute continue and, um, you know, the U.S. continues to weigh in and other parties as well. Well, Dave, it seems to me there is no limit to the labeling that is going on with this situation. If we look at it, at the end of democracy, uh, many people are saying that companies are going to pull out and stop doing business with Israel and the corporate world. I mean, just so many things taking place, and people are saying that this is heading towards a civil war. Now, I know uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu went out of his way to say we are not in a civil war. It seems to me that most of the calls for a quote-unquote civil war, are coming from the left. We've talked about it before, and we'll say it again. It's certainly hyperbole. This is actually democracy in action in most respects, isn't it? Well, it is. And uh, Netanyahu gave an interview to NBC in the States during the week, Rick, and he pointed out that not one other democracy around the world has this reasonableness clause that uh, its courts can rule on to throw legislation out that's been approved by a majority of the elected parliament. Uh, he he also said, as you said, that uh, there is no civil war. Uh, President Herzog mentioned that that was a possibility in March, but he said it's not happening. These are relatively small reforms that we're proposing. It's not the end of democracy. And he also said uh, we are not becoming an apartheid state, as some are charging. He pointed out extensively the rights that that Israeli Arabs have, that it's pretty well equal to the Jews of Israel. But he did say that uh, Judea and Samaria has to remain under overall Israeli security control. He said again, as the Oslo Accords uh, mandated in uh, 1993, uh, thrown out by Yasser Arafat in 2000, but that a Palestinian state can exist in the Arab parts of Judea and Samaria, which is about 40% of the area. It's a small uh, piece of land, as you know, the whole area. But the other, he said, will remain under Israeli sovereignty or control, and the overall security must remain in Israeli hands. And he pointed out that twice Israel has bowed to the international will, as it were, bowed to internal left-wing demands in Israel and uh, demands from the Arabs to pull out of land. One was uh, 
in Lebanon in the year 2000 after 18 years of warfare there. And uh, what happened? Hezbollah immediately started firing rockets into northern Israel from the territory there. And there's a lot of tensions up there right now, Rick, by the way. The president was up there touring and the army leader, chief of staff was up there. The Hezbollah movement has set up a tent inside uh, Israeli territory, actually, but the border fence is a bit further inside of Israel, but it is Israeli territory and they refuse to take it down. There's been other provocations. I won't go into all that, but he pointed out, we pulled out and they attacked us. Then he said, we pulled out of Gaza in 2005. What happened? They attacked us from there and they continue to attack us from both of these lands. So he said, Judea and Samaria, pointed out, is just above Tel Aviv, and it includes part of Jerusalem and uh, very close to Haifa, Israel's main cities are right along it. And he said, there's just no way we can have a Palestinian state that controls the security of all of that area. It's just not going to happen. So he spoke out and he said, I'm the elected prime minister and we're, you know, we're not bringing a revolution here. It's uh, hyperbole, as you said, and my opponents just trying, seeking to get rid of me in every way they can, which, by the way, Rick, sounds very similar to a situation in the United States at present. Well, we certainly are facing a similar situation here in the States. Well, David, we've still got more to talk about in this Middle East news update. We're going to have to take a break. Can you stay with us and come back after the break? It would be a joy to do it. We'll continue after the break with a story of a fox on the Temple Mount and how that's prophetic right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Amnesty International describes a new crackdown in Iran enforced by the morality police. Leaders restored the department this month to counter what they called hijab negligence. Many young girls like Samira are afraid and turn to heart for Iran's 24-7 call center for help. Fear has to leave when women give Jesus their hearts. Read Samira's story and send help through Heart for Iran at missionnews.org. Meanwhile, according to Bloomberg, Southeast Asia suffered major stock losses when foreign funds rotated out of the region this year. A believer will call Caleb says the economic ripple effects combined with pandemic losses hit several farms international projects. Working alongside the local church, Farms Revolving Loan Program equips believers to do more in the name of Jesus. By investing in farms, you can help them partner with more churches to start new programs and ask God to strengthen Christian leaders in Southeast Asia. Mission Network News, a service of One Way Ministries, I'm Ruth Kramer. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we're examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, you know, it's interesting with the judicial reform and this fight for the the state of Israel and all that's taking place. There are events happening around the country that affect daily life in Israel. This is all going on against a backdrop of Israel still facing threats. You talked about one, the Iranian-backed Hezbollah up in the north making noise. And Dave, there was also a Palestinian terror attack inside of Israel this this week, wasn't there? Well, yes, Rick, and it's actually a suburb of Jerusalem just northwest of the city, Male Adumim, on the road down to Jericho. It's a neighborhood, I should say, it's really a small city. It's got, I think, 50,000, 60,000 people in it. A lot of Americans, uh, American Jews, 
live there. A lot of Brits and other Westerners live there. It's popular with them. And an attack took place at what's called the Burger Bar. And that is one of the most popular places in the town, frequent and all the time busy. And a lone Palestinian gunman who was working in the town, had a permit to work in the town from a nearby Arab village. He worked as a cleaner at the civil center there. He suddenly opened fire from behind some bushes at people standing in line to get burgers. Uh, he wounded six people, one critically. He's still uh, not in danger of dying, they say, but he may not live the way he did before, at the very least. And it was a off-duty uh, border policeman who had just walked into a barber shop uh, in this plaza nearby, sat down. When the shooting started, he and the owner ran outside. They ran past the terrorist, not knowing it was him because he had stopped shooting, and then people started started screaming at them, it's him, it's him. So he turned around, he said, don't move, and the guy started shooting at him, so he shot him dead. That, they said, prevented, uh, he had the capacity to kill or wound many more people. It was a crowded day at this uh, very popular, as I said, uh, restaurant and, and little market area there. So thank God nobody was killed. But Hamas praised it. They said, we didn't send the man, but we have sent out this call to all Palestinians, as Islamic Jihad has and others, to defend Al-Aqsa Mosque in Jerusalem. And after he meant that Hamas mentioned the Ben-Gavir visit a little over a week ago, where the minister went up onto the Temple Mount, and that caused a lot of controversy, uh, storming the mount, as they say. So Hamas said, we want to encourage these uh, continuing attacks from all the Muslims that can take up arms. So the threat, of course, remains, and the Israelis, as always, have to be ever vigilant, even standing in line to get a hamburger. But then again, in the States, we have a lot of shootings that are at public places and restaurants and things. So uh, in this case, of course, though, it's part of a larger war and a terror war against the Jewish state. Certainly they do have to be vigilant. And as always, we look at this attack in Jerusalem and we say often pray for the peace of Jerusalem that would certainly be wanted or applicable here. Well, let's continue on. You mentioned the Temple Mount and kind of a, a lighter story, but very interesting story, especially the way it came across the wire. It says there was a fox spotted along the walls of the Temple Mount, which they say sparks talk of Bible prophecy. Yes, it was actually spotted the evening of uh, the 9th of Av, the day I just mentioned when the uh, Minister Gavir went up onto the Temple Mount along with 1,700 other uh, mostly Orthodox Jews that went up there. That evening, a uh, fox was spotted along the southern wall. And why is that significant? Well, the last time foxes were spotted near the Temple Mount was in 2019, and there is a tractate in the Jewish Talmud, Rick, that quotes Micah 3.2, that the Temple Mount will become like the high places of a forest. Well, a high place of a forest would have wild animals like foxes and, and deer and other things. And Rabbi Akiva, the famous rabbi after the destruction of the Second Temple, was up at the site of the uh, destroyed temple with three other famous rabbis when a fox came out of a hole where the Holy of Holies had stood. And the three of them started weeping 
because, of course, the temple was no more. Uh, Akiva started laughing. They said, why are you laughing? He said, because this is a fulfillment of prophecy. The Temple Mount has become like the places of a forest, but it means the other prophecies, he said, will also be fulfilled. And he mentioned Zechariah 8.4, which speaks about old men and young men will wander around the streets of Jerusalem again, and there'll be regular life again. In other words, Israel will come fully back to life. And of course, when they were visiting, it wasn't just the temple that was destroyed, but the Jewish state had been destroyed by the Romans and most of the Jews expelled. So uh, hope, he was saying, for the future. So since then, if a fox is spotted around the Temple Mount, it's always seen as a good sign, uh, a reminder to the Jewish people that prophecy is being fulfilled and that all of the prophecies will be fulfilled, including, of course, in the view of Ben Gavir and others, uh, the building of a third Jewish temple on the Temple Mount. Very interesting and obvious prophetic implications on subjects that we talk often about here. Well, David, my final question, uh, I wanted to talk to you about a subject. I talked to Winky last week briefly about this subject. President Biden and the Biden administration, they have a complicated relationship with Saudi Arabia, if you remember that infamous fist bump in the past when President Biden went to Saudi Arabia in a failed attempt to try to get him to increase oil production. So now he is going back to Saudi Arabia, and it seems to be he is very intent on normalizing peace with Saudi Arabia and Israel. Palestinians most likely included in this deal in some way or another, but this is a very interesting development. I'm not sure what it means for Israel or what it's going to mean or what kind of pressure is going to be placed on Israel. Could you tell us what you know about why the administration is pushing this so hard? Well, Rick, it's ironic because the first couple years of the administration, they seemed very lukewarm on the Abraham Accords, which were, of course, brought into play by former President Trump in 2020. But suddenly, as you say, they they seem and not seem, they are. It's known in the State Department and elsewhere that they are trying to promote a peace deal between Israel and Saudi Arabia. The main reason most believe is China. China, of course, came in and brokered a deal between Iran and Saudi Arabia a couple months ago. Uh, China's doing many other things around the region and in Africa and in South, southern uh, Asia and all over the place. So the U.S. seems to see a need, or the Biden administration, a need to reassert American diplomacy in the area, America's role in the area. The Saudis are said to want advanced weapons from the U.S. in exchange. They also want some security guarantees, kind of like NATO, that if they're attacked, the U.S. would defend them. And there's a couple other things they want. Of course, Israel just wants peace with Saudi Arabia and is very interested in that. And the reality, as we've discussed many times, is there is uh, background trade going on between the two. Uh, We talked about Israel's going to allow trucks to come through Saudi Arabia into Israeli ports uh, as part of uh, ongoing deals that are being made. But the White House is trying to get, I suppose, a political victory, too, before the elections next year. So that may be the part of it. But A lot of people are still pointing out that the Saudis are the guardians of Islam. That's where Mecca is and Medina, the two holiest cities in Islam, and that the uh, deal with Israel is not popular on the street, but it isn't popular in Egypt or Jordan, and they do have formal treaties. So we might see it happen, we might not, but the White House continues to push for it. And again, that's a reversal of the way they were talking about the Saudis uh, just a couple of years ago. 
Well, we will certainly have to monitor that situation as time goes on. Just beginning, uh, these talks are seemingly in the infancy stage as uh, this is now a new push, so it's still a long way to go there. We'll keep you informed of it. Well, David, thank you for keeping us informed of what's taking place in Israel and all around the Middle East. We look forward to talking to you again soon. It's always good to do it, Rick. God bless. It really is a one-world uh, system of thought that's coming into place that is really anti-God and anti-Christ, which is why on the issue of wokeism, I wanted to invite back Dr. Heath Marion. Dr. Heath Marion, he graduated from Dallas Theological Seminary, has multiple degrees. He is also uh, he's a former pastor, and he's in the business world consulting pastors today and churches. And so, Heath, welcome to the program. Hey, thank you for having me back. It's always good to be with you. Yes, sir. So, Heath, on this uh, issue of wokeism, what's your thoughts uh, in the church today uh, as to what you're seeing in our churches? Because I know a lot of churches and people have sent questions into us about their pastor is becoming woke. Well, I think it's a, a huge issue that each church denominations are trying to figure out. I mean, for goodness sakes, it's even coming into the school systems and our kids are, are struggling through these conversations. So Christians are being faced with this head on. And so I think it's something that we do need to talk about and we need to have a, a really vibrant discussion regarding. Sure. Well, when it comes to being woke, what should Christians keep in mind? Well, I know that uh, when we start talking about this, it's a very sensitive topic and we want to make sure that we interact with it correctly. But as a Christian, here's one thing that we want to say is that we understand and we have we do know that in America, racism has played a part. There has been shame and injustice. Mm. And at some points in history, there's even been terrible violence. So there's no clear thinking person really would say that the remnants of racism have been erased since the, the Civil War. And I think there's a lot of things that still needs to be done. Sure. And I know that there's laws and legislation uh, that guard the principle of equal rights. But really, what should be, uh, as a Christian, what should we understand about really the heart of the matter? The reality is, is, is just passing a law, and I think there should be laws that guard and protect Americans' rights or rights for all people. But a law cannot change the heart. I mean, mm -hmm. for goodness sakes, the God gave the Ten Commandments, and that hasn't changed our hearts at all. Right. right. So, uh, I mean, for us, when we start looking at it, Jeremiah 17 talks about that, that, that the evil of the human heart, who can know it? And what we really get from Jesus is there's a mandate to, you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus went to great lengths to cross racial divides. I mean, he went to the woman uh, at the well, the Samaritan woman. And his disciples were even questioning, why would you cross these racial lines? And Jesus makes it clear there's no racial divide that he's not going to cross. First of all, Jesus uh, going to that woman uh, in Samaria, he, when he said, oh, I must yeah. go through yep. Samaria, that was to me, that's one of the this, a huge pivotal point when he makes the point to, I'm going over here. And then we get into other statements where Paul says that there's neither Jew nor Greek nor Gentile, no free man, no slave. Uh male or female. So he really calls us to attention saying we are the members of the body of Christ. Wow. Very good. When does real racial reconciliation take place, Heath? One, when we first start recognizing who we are in Christ, that we are all members and uh, every member has its own place. And we're all supposed to be bringing and shining the light of Christ and of God to this world. 
And when we love each other, instead of being known by our hate, the world will see a difference, right? That's what it says, mm-hmm. that we should be known by our love. And that really is the call, is that the God of this world is going to blind us. And when we're blinded, we are going to hate. First John talks about how that it's the God of this world darkens our eyes. So for us, we need to wake up to this call, wake up to the light of the gospel, mm. and how that God is calling us to love others. And when we love others, real change begins to happen. We begin to cross those boundaries. You know, Peter even struggled on baptizing a Roman soldier, right? Right. <laughs> he had to have a dream. He had to have a dream to recognize. Oh, I need to cross this boundary. So the we all might have some kind of prejudice in us, and yet as we grow in our love for God, then it causes us to grow in our love for people, and we will cross those uh, those divides. Dr. Heath Marion, thank you for joining with us today and again helping us to understand why the world is acting as it is and how the church should act and these last days in which we're living. Thanks for joining us, Heath. Thank you so much. With much love and respect. Have a great day. Dr. Heath Marion. Well, let's transition real quick, Rick, to uh, a friend of ours, Sharam Hadian. Well, that's right, Jimmy. We've got Sharam Hadian with us. He's been with us before on this program. He has a ministry called The Truth in Love Project. Sharam, thank you for joining us. Uh, Rick, great to be on the program with you again. Well, we're going to talk to Sharam a little bit about his testimony, about his connection with Iran. In fact, let's do that right now. If you could just really briefly tell us a little bit about yourself, your testimony, and the ministry, the Truth and Love Project. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, as uh, many of your listeners hope you remember, uh, I was born in Iran, born into a Muslim family. Then we fled there before the government was overthrown in 1979. But I did not come to know the Lord till I was older in life. I was 28 years old. Growing up in Iran, I used to, um, even from a young child, I used to have dreams about uh, about God and about a you know a man in white. But I never knew who that was. And in Islam, there were there was no good answer. And so, fast forward to when I was 28 years old, I had, uh, moved to the United States, and some bold Christians, thank God, were willing to share the gospel with me which deeply impacted me, it deeply, uh, you know, it also offended me in the sense of, you know, it was hard to hear because it it challenged and contradicted everything that I was uh, raised to believe as a Muslim. But uh, praise God for the power of God, for the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel did its job, and uh, 24 years ago, uh, I left Islam, I accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, became a follower of Christ, and now I have been serving Him. And uh, yeah, our ministry, Truth and Love, is committed to speaking the truth in love, and particularly on the issue of Islam. We speak the truth about Islam, but we also speak the urgency of being able to evangelize Muslims in a truly biblical pattern so that they can be set free, as I was 24 years ago, by the grace of God. Well, we're going to talk about that a little bit more, but what a powerful testimony. We're going to talk a little bit about how we can share the gospel confidently with Muslim friends or Muslim people that we come in contact with. But before we do that, I wanted to get an update. As you said, you are from Iran. You still have quite a few contacts there. Last time we talked on this program, we talked about the protests taking place, those who were opposed to the hijab and the the different restrictions. And of course, they were being cracked down on. Uh, we would love to have supported them more than we did, but we were doing what we could to support. What's the situation? 
situation now? I, I've heard they've uh, had round after round of crackdown. Are they still cracking down on that type of thing? Just give us an idea of what it's like there in, in Iran. Yeah, you know, Rick, unfortunately, the people uh, of that country, of Iran, don't have a way of standing up for their rights. You know, they've, they're they disarmed. They don't have a voice. The government controls the Internet. The government controls, you know, the media. And so uh, the only source of, of information coming in and out is predominantly through satellite and a little bit through different, um, you know, VPNs and stuff people set up through the, the Internet. But basically, the crackdowns are still continuing. The estimates are that... There has been well over six to 7,000 arrests, and uh, the estimates that I recently heard was that close to seven to 800 people have, have, been, have been murdered, executed, murdered either during the, you know, the protests, during the uprisings, and, and subsequently with arrests that have been made and the government putting the Iranian people, particularly young people who were protesting for freedom on trial and then executing them, and it's all hidden. You know, the world is not seeing it. And so we need to continue to pray for the Iranian people. And we need to also pray, Rick, for the persecuted Christians, because there is, as I've mentioned many times on the, on the program before, Iran has the fastest growing church in the world numerically. Uh, there is such a revival that is happening there among the Persian people who are uh, receiving Christ. And one of the interesting things that just was announced maybe about um, six weeks ago by the Iranian regime themselves, Rick, is that the government has had to shut down more than 50% of the mosques in Iran because the people are so revolting against Islam. Uh, Iran has the lowest mosque attendance of any other Middle Eastern country, any other Muslim country. And so this is phenomenal news to further give evidence that there is a revival happening in Iran in these last days. Is truly remarkable. So, yeah, for the government to admit that they are forced to shut down more than 50% of the mosques in Iran because there is not attendance. People are not going. They're sick of Islam. They're rejecting Islam. So we got to pray that as they reject Islam, they then hear the good news and boldly come to Christ and are uh, going to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that's what we're praying for, and that's the latest. But, yeah, let's pray for the, the the people of Iran, the United States government did not do anything to support the Iranian people during this uprising, which, again, was speculated to be much larger than even what happened in 1979. So this was a tremendous opportunity. I don't know what it's going to take for this government to be trampled down so that the Iranian people can have political freedom. But let's pray for the spiritual freedom that can only come through Jesus Christ. Absolutely. And it's amazing to hear. It's, I, I couldn't think of a more hostile environment to share the gospel for there to be a Christian church. But the fact that it is one of the, or if not the fastest growing church in the world is just amazing. Well, obviously prayer, and you've given us a call to prayer. And as Christians, we certainly need to be doing that. What else could we do? How else could we support the Christian community there in Iran? Well, I think uh, the main thing you know, back there would be the prayer and also supporting any of the ministries. Like uh, I have a my spiritual father who is also a former Muslim from Iran. His ministry is called uh, Hayat Abadi. It's H-A-Y-A-T-E and then A-B-A-D-I dot org. Hayat Abadi. That means eternal life in Farsi. Um, you know, ministries like that are doing an incredible work 
of sending the gospel out through satellite, through radio, through internet. They're they're sending those little SD cards, you know, that you can put in your phone. They're sending those into the country with Bibles on them. So we we, we need to support good ministries that are going into Iran because uh, people have to understand no Western missionaries can go into Iran. The number one way that the church is growing there is Iranians reaching Iranians. That's just a reality. It's a closed nation. So we're not talking about sending Westerners in. We're talking about supporting the Iranians that are themselves trying to reach their own people. And then also, I want to encourage Christians to be bold here in the West. Uh, I'm going to be traveling back to Minnesota in about a week and a half, and I've been giving this warning to the American Christians that they need to be able to get to another level of boldness. We have to stop worrying about offending Muslims and love them enough, love them enough to tell them the good news, to share Christ, to ask them how we can pray for them. And I was telling you before we went on air, uh, and, and if you want to, I can come back to you for a minute, but I was going to tell you about these uh, these festivals that they're having, these Ashura celebrations they're having across the nation that we're having last week, and how, man, it is the opposite of the gospel. It is the opposite. It, it is a counterfeit for the gospel. Explain to us what this festival is like. And really, you've said it many times, and I think it's a great word, a great key word, sharing boldly, because it can be tough. You know, you don't want to offend, or sometimes you might even be physically scared. But, you know, we are called to share the gospel. But so give us some practical tips. And of course, tell us about this festival. You were talking to me a little bit about the way it just compares and contrasts to our faith and to what God asks of us. Share us a little bit about that and some practical tips tips for sharing the gospel with our Muslim friends. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, during this time of year, this is the first month of the Islamic calendar. It's called Muharram, and the word haram means forbidden. So it's a month of things that are forbidden. And uh, during this, on the 10th day, they celebrate this thing called Ashura. Ashura means the 10th in Arabic. And so it is a celebration of martyrdom, because most Christians do not recognize that the only guarantee of salvation for a Muslim is if they are willing to martyr themselves for their false god. Uh, that's the only guarantee they have, that, that, that then they're promised they go to paradise and they can intercede for 70 of their relatives. That's why martyrdom is so exalted within the Muslim world when we see martyrs and those who've committed an act of jihad. So it's very important to understand that as they're celebrating martyrdom, they're really celebrating death. That's what they're celebrating. So just we had this in Washington, D.C. We had it in New York. We had it in Minneapolis where Muslims, particularly Shia Muslims who are from Iran or Lebanon, they were uh, marching. And what they do is they, they chant the name of their prophet Muhammad, but also the successor of Muhammad Ali, which they believe is the rightful successor. Uh, there was four successors, but the fourth one is Ali, and that's where the Shia and the Sunni separate, and Ali is a was the grandson of Muhammad, and they believe that it must be blood-related, but they celebrate his martyrdom, and they beat themselves. They actually whip themselves, flog themselves, self-flagellate themselves, cut their heads, and they, they, they shed their own blood in an effort to try to atone for their sins. Muslims know they're sinners, and if we talk to Muslims, we can have that common ground. Hey, you know, we're all sinners. We've all sinned. We all fall short of the perfection of God. But then we need to be bold to tell them that you can never atone for your own sins. 
But can I tell you the good news? That one has come. God sent his son, who is God himself, and he came and he shed his blood on the cross. You can't cut yourself. You can't beat yourself. You can't flog yourself enough to atone for your sins. But the God of the Bible, he atoned for our sins. He was flogged. He was beaten. He was bruised. See, it gives me an opportunity, Rick, to go into the gospel right there to say, hey, what are you guys celebrating in this Asher thing? What are you, why, do you, why do you guys hit yourself? Why do you guys beat yourself? And it's an opportunity to then go straight into the gospel to say, but let me tell you about the one who came, the Son of God, who is God in, in, in the flesh, even though Muslims don't believe that, right? Muslims don't believe that Jesus is God. We got to tell them the good news. So that's a tip. The other thing I would always say is, and I always have told people, don't be afraid to ask Muslims to pray for them because everybody has problems. Everybody has problems. And so ask them, you know, how can I pray for you? You know, what's going on in your life that I can pray for you? But I want to let you know that I, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ, the God of the Bible, and he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and he answers our prayers. And so can I pray for you? And I've done that so many times, and only a handful of times have they ever rejected prayer. Most people say, okay, go ahead and pray for me. And then it's an opportunity to then say, what do you believe about Jesus? Who do you believe Jesus is? And, of course, they're going to say, well, he's, he's a righteous man. He's a prophet. He's a messenger of Allah. And I say, no, no, no. But you see, the difference is the Bible says, yes, he's a righteous man, but he is God in the flesh. He has come, and he has come to set the captives free. He is the only way we can atone for our sins. So what an opportunity this time of year. What an opportunity when we see these Muslims doing these things for us to be able to approach them boldly. Don't be afraid. Approach them boldly. Ask them what they're celebrating and then give them the good news. Contrast it with the good news. Excellent. Such great work. Sharam Hadi and the Truth and Love Project and his call today. Pray for the Christian community, especially inside Iran, uh, as they are thriving and growing, but they need our prayer and support. And then, as he said, to share boldly the the good news of the gospel. And uh, that's just, just a wonderful idea. This has been a great conversation. We appreciate it. Of course, if you would like to find out more about Sharam Hadian, about his ministry, where he's speaking, study helps, different things like that, go to T-I-L, that stands for Truth and Love, T-I-L-Ministry.com. Sharam, as always, thank you so much for being on the program, and we look forward to talking to you again soon. Well, always a blessing. Thank you so much. God bless you guys. We'll talk to you soon. Great job, Sharam. Absolutely. Great conversation and helping the body of Christ to understand the world in which we're living, to have a worldview. Let's take a break when we come back. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. Along with Rick, we have been examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Wow, we've got uh, an exciting year ahead of us, don't we, Rick? We sure do, Jimmy. Now that COVID is behind us and the world is somewhat getting back to normal, we are getting back to Israel. I know you've been to Israel several times recently. We always talk about it being the world's greatest classroom to study Scripture. And uh, we are so excited that we are now continuing to add more and more tours. In fact, Jimmy, we've got one coming up this October, October 11th to be exact, another one in November. These are smaller tours. Uh, and there are spots available on both of these tours, but you need to let us know soon if you're interested. That's October 11th and November 8th of this year. 
uh, small VIP tours to Israel. We've also got several tours scheduled for early next year and in the spring. And Jimmy, we're also going to do a Holy Land cruise, which starts in Rome, has several different ports of call, including two days in Israel. It's a different way to travel. Many people uh, enjoy that type of travel by cruise. We did one with Dad, oh, about seven or eight years ago now, and it was a really wonderful time of Bible study and travel, but also, you know, very relaxing, very comfortable trip, great way to recharge your batteries. Yes, yes, and uh, you can go to our website, prophecytoday.com, to find out that information. Well, today on the Legacy Series, we have a very exciting study from the book of Daniel as we look at God's plan through the ages. Daniel introduces a major personality that will be a powerful leader on this earth during this seven-year period of time called the Tribulation. This takes place after the rapture of the church. That satanically energized personality is the Antichrist. The Antichrist will start the clock ticking actually on the seven-year Tribulation according to Daniel chapter 9 verse 27. This will all be a part of our study today. We will also look at the 70 weeks of Daniel that predicted the crucifixion of Jesus and the time period that that would happen. This is a very important study, Rick. We're going to start where we stopped last time as we were looking at Daniel chapter 7 and Daniel's dream. Today we start as we look at the bear with three ribs in its mouth. That's Daniel chapter 7 verse 5 and that's where we begin our study today. Dr. Jimmy D. Young and the Legacy Series. The bear is the, is the Medo-Persian Empire. They defeat the Babylonian Empire who had kept, uh, defeated the Syrian Empire who defeated the Egyptian Empire. And so the three ribs, the three previous Gentile world powers. And that's this Medo-Persian Empire. Now notice the next one he sees here in his dream. And verse 6, And after this I beheld, and lo, another like a leopard, which had upon the back of it four wings of a fowl, and the beast had also four heads, and dominion was given unto it. When we start putting things together, we know it's the Medo-Persian Empire. How do we know? Because that's over there in chapter 8. Didn't even touch the ground, this he-goat, with a uh, horn between his eyes. And when he took on the ram, that horn was bursted up, and he had four horns on his forehead. The four wings making him swift, the four heads, the four parts of the Grecian Empire after the death of Alexander the Great, north, south, east, and west. You get over to chapter 11 of Daniel, you see the kings who come to power in the north and the south, and we'll get back to that in just a moment. But look here at the next beast, verse 7. And after this I saw in the night vision, and behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible and strong exceedingly, and it had great iron teeth, and it devoured and break in pieces and stamped the residue with the feet of it, and it was diverse from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns, ten horns. What in the world is that talking about? You don't have to ask me. Go to chapter 7, verse 23. Thus he said, the fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth. That makes it the Roman Empire. Since we have the Babylonian, the Medo-Persian, the Grecian, and now the Roman Empire. So he's making a statement in verse 23. The fourth beast shall be the fourth kingdom upon the earth, which shall be diverse from all the kingdoms, and shall devour the whole earth, and shall tread it down and break it in pieces. Okay, and so it's going to devour the whole earth. No, wait a minute. Hold it. Time of Jesus. 
Roman Empire only controlled, hello, the Mediterranean region. That's all it controlled. Never controlled the whole earth. The text says this empire at one time in its existence will control the whole earth. Look at the next verse, verse 24. And the ten horns out of this kingdom are ten kings that shall arise, and another shall arise after them, and he shall be diverse from the first, and he shall subdue three of the kings. Well, that gives us some information, but keep reading. Verse 25. And he shall speak great words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints. Great words against the Most High. Chapter 13, book of Revelation. A very important passage of Scripture on the Antichrist in three verses. Verses 1, 3, verses 3, 5, and 6 says, And he will blaspheme God. Speak blasphemy against God. Look over here in chapter 11 just a moment. Chapter 11 of the book of Daniel. Chapter 11, and notice what it says in verse 36. And this willful king shall do according to his will, and he shall exalt himself and magnify himself above every god. And he shall speak marvelous things against the God of gods. Blasphemy. You see, the Antichrist, we call him here the little horn in verse 8 of chapter 7. And out of these ten horns comes the little horn. That's saying that this personality, this mighty ruler in a period of time yet in the future, is going to come out of this group of Roman government that has been revived to control the entire earth. And his name is Little Horn in chapter 7. In chapter 9, he's the prince that shall come, verse 26. In chapter 11, verse 36, he's the willful king. Over in Matthew, chapter 24, Jesus Christ refers to him as the false messiah. Paul talks about him in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 uh, as the wicked one, the son of perdition, the man of sin. In Revelation 13, 1, he's the beast out of the sea. And in 1 John chapter 2, he's referred to by the name we know him best as anti-Christ. And so out of this revival of the Roman Empire comes the Antichrist. Is there a possibility that we could see at least the infrastructure for the revival of this Roman Empire? Well, the answer is yes. Now again, I'm not dealing in all of these areas I mean, these at least are four messages I could give and go for an hour and a half or two on them. But may I suggest that what we're seeing come to place now is at least the infrastructure of the revived Roman Empire, and I would call it the European Union. Our Secretary of State, Hillary Clinton, visiting with Catherine Ashton, the Chief of Foreign Policy for the European Union, said the most historic event she has seen in her lifetime happened in November of 2009. November the 3rd, every one of the 27 member states of the European Union ratified the Lisbon Treaty. On November the 19th, they put in place a leader, a man named Herman van Rompuy. He was originally the prime minister of Belgium. He became the leader of the 27 member states the European Union, and for the first time in history. That's what Hillary Clinton said. It was jailed together. She said, I've never seen anything more magnificent in all of history. And so the infrastructure is in place. And the text is telling us, out of this comes the Antichrist. Verse 24 of chapter 7 says, he will take control over three of the ten and become powerful. The Antichrist. 
coming on the scene. And so we see in chapter 2 the layout for the Gentile world powers. In chapter 7 we see now the leader in the last days for this revived Roman Empire coming into place. Go to chapter 9. Here's the next of the important prophetic passages in God's Word. Chapter 9 is a marvelous passage of Scripture. I almost say that about every piece of Scripture that I read, but chapter 9 is talking about Daniel, who is an amazing man before the Lord. Not one negative thing is ever said about Daniel. And God gives Daniel some very important information in chapter 9. It's the 70 weeks of Daniel. It's a plan for the Jewish people in a special place. Look at Daniel 9, 24. Daniel 9, 24. 70 weeks are determined upon thy people and upon thy holy city. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of the passage, but it's key that you understand these things, these six things left there in verse 24 have to happen before the Lord sets up and establishes his kingdom. But it's talking about a 70-week period of time. It's 77s, better translated instead of 70 weeks. That's 490. And it's talking about years in the context. Please excuse me for taking a shortcut. But it's talking about a 490-year period of time. And in the context, it says, this plan is going to be given to your people upon thy people, and your holy city. And the holy city, Nehemiah eleven two, is the city of Jerusalem. So it's a special plan for a special people in a very special place. And thus we see in shape the plan that God has for the Jews and the Gentiles in a period of time. From the time that the command was given to go forth and rebuild the walls of the city and the streets of the city, that command given by Artaxerxes to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 2, until the time the Messiah would be cut off. I'm taking a shortcut. I'm reading verses 25 and 26 in my mind. From that time until this time when Christ will be cut off, or the Messiah, it says, will be 69 of the 70 weeks. Will be 483 of the 490 years. Will be 173,880 days on the dot. That's why Jesus said... Luke, chapter 19, verse 40, when he stood there on the Mount of Olives looking across the Kedron Valley at the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, he said as he wept uncontrollably, if you had only read the book, Daniel 9, you'd have known I was to be here today. Not yesterday, not tomorrow, today. Then he went later to be crucified, to be cut off that's what the text says. Look right here. As we look at the scripture, verse 26, and after three score and two weeks shall Messiah, Hamashiach, be cut off, but not for himself and the people of the prince that shall come, shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Notice, this is a great verse to use with your Jewish friend to try to bring him to Christ. Whoever the Messiah was from their scriptures, from their ancient prophets, the Messiah had to be here before the city was destroyed and the temple devastated. That happened in 70 A.D. Tell me who your candidate for Messiah is. It's locked in. Messiah had to be here before 70 A.D. Now this is 483 of the 490 years, 69 of the 70 weeks, but that leaves one. Look at chapter 9, verse 27. Here's that tribulation period. Times of the Gentiles, parents of Antichrist, 
tribulation period, verse 7. And he shall confirm the covenant with many for one week. That one week is the seven-year period of time. The he here is the tyrant or the antichrist with the 27 other names. I've given him another one, the tyrant. And a treaty is involved. Past history all the way to the rapture of the church. That's what this represents, the rapture. Jesus shouts, Archangel shouts, trumpet of God sounds, we're out of here. And then a seven-year period of time after the rapture up until, let this represent, the second coming, the return of Jesus Christ. A thousand-year period of time over here to the great white throne judgment and then eternity future. The rapture of the church and the seven-year period of time. This is the 70th week of Daniel. Chapter 9, verse 27 says there are two ingredients in this 70th week. In fact, what happens here in this 70th week, according to the prophecy, is two things happen and the seven years begin. What are they? A tyrant appears. And then the text says, and he confirms a covenant, a treaty, for how long? One week. Seven years. That's what he's talking about. The tyrant. Is the tyrant alive? That is a very important question that must be answered. If we are near to the time of the rapture, then the tyrant, the Antichrist, must be alive on this earth. The truth is that a personality on the earth which Satan will energize and give his seat of authority and his power has been alive in each of the past generations. Next week, we'll continue our study in Daniel and we'll go more in-depth in our study of the Antichrist. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will wrap up the program talking about having a consistent biblical worldview. Right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Three years ago today, over 2,500 tons of ammonium nitrate stored in a warehouse in Lebanon exploded, killing 220 people and wounding 6,000. Lebanese authorities declared today a national day of mourning, closing all government buildings. Hartford Lebanon's Tom Adamus says the Beirut blast is etched into the memories of thousands. Pray they'll experience the healing only Christ can offer. And the Holy Spirit is moving across the Arab world with new people coming to faith in Jesus every day. There's a growing need for biblical leadership development, but theological training is hard to get in the Middle East, North Africa region. Program for Theological Education by Extension, or PTEE, makes that theological training accessible. The newest program provides education on the go through mobile or M-Learning. PTEE needs your help to meet increasing demand. Find your place in this story at missionnews.org. Mission Network News is a service of One Way Ministries. I'm Ruth Kramer. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the Shepherd's Field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. 
You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr. Along with Rick, we've been examining current event in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, I started off the program today with talking about a biblical worldview and how it is so very important to have a biblical worldview. A biblical worldview is one's total conception of the world from a biblical standpoint. It's a Christian's basic belief system about the meaning of life, the nature of God, the source of truth, and other foundational concepts. Yet many Christians worldview is not biblically consistent. They may approach some issues from a biblical viewpoint, but not every issue, Rick. Well, there are many possible reasons why some Christians fail to have a consistent biblical worldview. I think, number one, they lack knowledge of what the Bible says. They do not know the Word of God. If someone doesn't know what the Bible says about the sanctity of human life, for example, it will be difficult for him or her to form a biblical view on the subject. For the uninformed, education is the key. It is, Jimmy. And again, I mean, this program, Prophecy Today, as we look at things, we are not necessarily just a current events program or not totally a Bible prophecy, but we are about studying Scripture, studying the Word to see what it has to say. Another reason, Jimmy, that uh, people fail to have a consistent biblical worldview is that they reject what the Bible says on certain issues. I heard of a study recently, Jimmy, where people were asked if they believe the, what the Bible says. Only 4% of people did, Jimmy. And if you look further, Jimmy, and uh, people who are saying they are Christians, it's not that much better. And if you are a professed Christian and you do not believe what the Bible says, it'll be impossible for you to have an authentic biblical worldview. For those who are contrary, repentance is the key. There's only one way to the Father. Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There's no way to the Father except through me. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whomsoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. You know, when you look at this, Rick, uh, some other reasons, they are more concerned with what the world thinks of them than what God thinks. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. The fear of man lays a snare, but whosoever trusts in the Lord is safe. A believer who views the world from a biblical standpoint recognizes that he is not of the world. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of this world. That is why the world hates you. John 15, 9. When a believer starts making compromises with the world's ways of thinking, he loses focus on God's perspective. For those who are fearful, courage is the key. I love that, Jimmy. And if you remember what Sharam Hadian said when he talked about boldly sharing, that's something courage 
bold commitment to share. And I mean, another thing he said is loving other people enough in order to be willing to share. Well, another reason that people fail to have a consistent worldview, Jimmy, is that they are lukewarm in their commitment to Christ. Uh, We talk about Revelation a lot. Revelation 3, the church of Laodicea, they are neither hot nor cold, unwilling to take a stand for Christ. For the lukewarm, commitment is the key. Yes. And Rick, you and I have talked about this a lot on this program. We encourage people. We're trying to edify the body of Christ, educating them, because we have an understanding of Bible prophecy and and what God's word says is going to take place in the end times. We might not be 100% correct, and you might not, uh, those people out there might not agree with us, but at least we are trying to get people to be Uh, understanding of the times in which we're living and to live a pure, productive, holy life in this unholy world. And commitment is the only way that you can do that. Another reason Christians don't have a consistent biblical worldview is they are influenced by the lies of this world. From the time of Adam and Eve, Satan has used his ability to deceive and confuse. That took place in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall of man. And it has been going throughout history until Jesus Christ comes back to this earth and establishes a theocratic kingdom on this earth when sin will be no more. A powerful tool in Satan's arsenal is the idea that the Bible is a book of myths, that it is full of errors and not to be trusted. Satan's wish to convince people that the Bible is no longer relevant, Rick, Its laws and principles are obsolete. Many in the church have been influenced by such thinking. And as according to what Heath said, you know, when wokeism comes into the church, many are deceived. And I do think that today we need to be praying for discernment. Discernment is the key to have a biblical worldview. It is, Jimmy. It makes me think of what uh, Dad used to say when he was preaching. He would say, listen, if you disagree with me, come to me with your Bible in hand. He said, don't come with your experience. Don't come with stories that you have. Don't tell me about a book that you read that says this. Come to me with your Bible in hand. And I believe that rigorous test, taking everything back to Scripture, is the key to discernment. Well, Mm. another reason, Jimmy, that people fail to have a consistent biblical worldview is that they are swayed by their circumstances and doubt God's promises. Understandable, Mm. Jimmy, we all sometimes face doubts. In Matthew 14, when Peter stepped out of the boat there on the Sea of Galilee to walk on the water, he was demonstrating a biblical worldview. But what happened, Jimmy, when he focused on the storm-tossed sea around him and took his eyes off Jesus, his worldview shifted. Maybe the waves were more powerful than Jesus. He was doubting, Jimmy, for the doubting faith is the key. Faith is the key in understanding and and completely trusting and believing in what the Lord says. To have a consistent biblical worldview, we must go back to the Bible and take hold of the promises of God, Rick. The promises that God has made to us and that the world offers us nothing. Luke chapter 9, John chapter 12, Matthew chapter 6, all of these are chapters that bring this biblical truth to life. Rick, we've tried today to help our listeners to have a worldview. A biblical worldview is very important, and a prophetic biblical worldview is the most important view that you can have 
and understanding why the world is acting as it is. Rick, thanks so much for doing the hard work today. And uh, I look forward to us continuing to edify and educate the body of Christ. Folks, today, as I always close out the program, Rick and I firmly believe that the rapture of the church could happen at any moment. Let's keep looking up until. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.